Good morning. Gonna get my things ready here. Okay. So it, it comes up regularly. You guys may have seen the sign on your way in for Girl Scouts. My daughter also got a, a flyer in her school folder to come home about the Girl Scouts. It comes up in invitations to gender-based workout groups. It comes up in the way that my name is listed on a real estate sale. What it means to be a woman is to be a second-class citizen in some circles, token diversity in other circles, asked if your job is to stay home with your kids in other circles, pretty sure Caleb's never been asked that, being taken a certain way if you talk too confidently, being taken as unprofessional if you wear clothes that fit your body, being taken as incapable if you show a hint of emotion, and being willing to take a pay cut, an extra job, or an extra mental load at every other turn. And to be honest, I'm straight up mad. And I am mad because after spending a whole week diving into the Hebrew of Genesis 2, really a lot more than that, Genesis 1 through 5, I realize that so much violence has been done to women based on this story that is not true. (laughs) It's not true to the text. This story has been used as an excuse to oppress women and to blame them and to make them inferior. Because why? Because God created the man first. I have literally read a book someone gave to me for my wedding that said that a woman is supposed to let her husband decide whether or not she can work or stay home, whether or not they have one children or ten, because she was created to be his helper. Literal book. I didn't know what to do with it. I'm, not, I'm against burning books, but also shouldn't really pass a thing like that on, so I hoarded it for quite a while. Not sure what ended up with it. But what is really the case? Is this really the picture that we see in the first few chapters of Genesis? Is it really this interpretation that this book was based on? And as I encountered the world of the text in our most ancient scriptures in the very first pages of the Bible, I was shocked not only to find the co-equality of persons in the text, which is a deeply held belief I already had at my disposal, but also the co-eco-equality among plants, animals, and humans as well. But the truth is in code, because if you read these passages in English, you totally miss it. Our translation into English is, makes us actually miss so much of what's actually going on in this original text. In Genesis 2, we see our origin story, the story of how humans came to be, including our relationship with the earth, with the creatures, with the community of humans, and with animals. Now, many people have rightly concluded that our theology of what a person is relies heavily on these texts. In our tradition, in the Church of the Nazarene, we actually have no specific theology of person, which means that we are ill-equipped, having not built or coalesced around this foundational building block to accurately address modern issues of theological personhood, which are many of our modern issues, by the way. Issues of personhood include issues like slavery, issues of sexism, issues of sexual ethics, LGBTQ plus persons, 
and more. So many of our modern issues have to do with our theology of person, which we do not have. We are at a loss theologically when we take English words at face value from our Hebrew scriptures and try to define gender roles, sexual ethics, and the basic rights or honor of a person in light of them. And that's not the only theological issue that we have in translating these chapters. But it's also this narrative, a very important narrative about our relationship to and vocation with the soil that is also lost when we read this origin story in English alone. I actually have the Hebrew version right here, and, and this is a really great, it's called an analytical key. It takes every single word of the Hebrew and gives you the link. It's not a link, I guess. It's a book. <laughs> the number of how to look it up in the Hebrew lexicon, and then it tells you the definition. So like word for word, you can translate. So if you want to look at those later, I'd be happy to show them to you and see where all of this is coming from, because this is the Bible. <laughs> and yes, I'm holding it the right way, <laughs> right? Like, you read it left to right. <laughs> so that's what it actually looks like. And of course, so I'm going to teach you some Hebrew today. And of course, it all starts with Adam. Now, if you read this text, now if you read this text, you, you think Adam, and I heard it in my group, maybe the other discussion group said it as well. You think of Adam as a gendered man, right? And Adam as a proper name. So the reason you think that is because this is how it appears in the English version of the Bible. But actually, this is not the best translation of the word Adam. The reason that Adam is translated like a proper name in Genesis 2, the part that we read today, is because later Adam becomes a proper name, later in the text. But actually, Adam, the correct the definition of Adam is humankind. It's not a gendered term. And, and the picture here is not of like a physical man with male body parts, but it's actually like this like kind of strange the human, the the ha-adam, ha just meaning the, the ha-adam here. Now I'm going to teach you some English or some um, Hebrew letters. So this is, is like ha if it's at the beginning of a word, and it's like ah if it's at the end of the word, okay? Then let's see. This letter doesn't have a sound. It just like carries the vowel sound. Sound, okay. And then this is like an English D. This is like an English M. And then this is like an English SH sound. Okay, the first thing that the text says that we read it says that the human was taken from the dust, from the soil, right? 
I'm going to put down the name of the soil, which is Adama. And now, the name of the human. You don't even have to read Hebrew to see it, right? And if you put this at the beginning, you know what that is? It's an article. It's the. <laughs> so the, the ha-adam was taken from the adama. See, the point here in this passage is not that a man was created, but rather humankind was taken from the soil. It's not a gendered statement about who God created first, but it's rather our origin story about from what material we came. Adam is not a name, it's a species. We are all the Adam, the Ha-Adam, the humanity. And it doesn't have to do with sexual organs. It has everything to do with our relationship to the soil. Some of you may know Ben and Hannah Ponder, who we support through mission work in, in Serbia. And this is a great uh, picture. They had a son last year, and Ben and Hannah named their son Ben's son. And that was exactly the point, the son of Ben. The name, in the name, it tells you where the child comes from. And this is what is happening in the Hebrew. That we have, in the name of the species, where the species is coming from. We are coming from the soil. From dust you came, to dust you shall return, we say every Ash Wednesday. But it's sort of like this brief blip on the radar of the rest of our lives as we package and protect ourselves at every turn from the soil from which we came, out of some sort of convenience or repressed fear that we might actually return to the soil. And you know what I'm talking about if you've been to a funeral lately? Because, you know, we basically pump into this dust and its return to the soil so many unearthly things that it will not turn back into the soil, or at least not for a really long time. And then we place the body in this lacquered, padded, bed-like sleeping bag, covered in solid wood, placed in a vault. It's literally called a vault of solid concrete inside the earth, so that there is no chance of us ever returning to the dust from which we came. And that's if you get buried in the earth at all. All three of my grandparents who have been passed away were not placed in the ground, but rather in a vault above the ground, because even in death, it would be too much to go into the earth. Sheath upon sheath upon sheath of protection from soil, even in death. But we are a people of the soil. And further, we are created from the soil and immediately given the responsibility to care for the soil. Immediately. God planted this garden and the human species is there to serve and protect and to keep and to care for the garden and the animals that live there. And God tells us to do that because we are God's image bearer. God's body on earth, even from the first page of the Bible, God's image on earth 
is what humanity is outlined to do. Theologically, to be a person in this Genesis 2 passage is to be tasked with the unity and care of the ecological landscape. There is this deep connection between the Ha-Adam and the Adama. Now, at the time that this was written, there was something that happened in the ancient world that we, you know, have no context for. And that is that when a king, when there was a king that was the ruler of a certain area, they would set up a statue of themselves so that everyone in the land, all their subjects, would know what they looked like. Now, you could see how this could be important in a world before Googling people, a world before social media and the nightly news, to know that that, in most likelihood, guy is your king when you see him. The, the kings would set up these statues, these images of themselves, so that their subjects would know what they look like. And so the people who, who, who wrote and who would have, have been hearing and reading, eventually reading these stories would have known, that's what a king does. A king sets up an image for themselves within their territory so that everyone knows what they look like. And then we get this picture of God setting up the human in the middle of the garden to care for everything else as God's image. The image is alive and the image is to care. Now, but we didn't get our own day of creation either, right? So, like, some, some people have taken this passage to be like, yeah, we're the image bearers who so we can do whatever we want. But we also must remember that we, like, we were created on day six with all the other land animals. And, you know, there is no doubt that we also are a creature of God. The animals also were formed from the Adama, right? And so there is no doubt that we're also this creature of God, brothers and sisters with other parts of creation. Now, up until this point, everything God makes, God says, that's good. That's good. That's good. Mosquito, good. Jupiter's rings, good. I mean, all kinds of things are good until one part. It's the first time at the very beginning that God says something is not good. And he doesn't say it's evil, just that it's not good, not the opposite of good. And it's that it's not good that the human is alone. We were created by God, breathed into with the breath of God, in relationship with primarily God and creation. But God says that that is not enough. It's this beautiful language that's used in plural, pronoun, <laughs> plural pronouns. God's like, let us make. Isn't that beautiful? And causes this deep sleep to fall upon the human. And, that, and then God takes a side out of the human and makes them two. And I, when I was a kid, I never understood the whole rib thing. And it's funny that this word is even translated as rib, but they do it because then later the human says, finally, at last, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And they're like, what's a side? What's a side 
of a human that's, a bone, that's bone and flesh. And they're like, oh, a rib. So they say, we, God took a rib out of the ha-adam. And, and, but actually the word is better translated as part, right? Like part was taken out. Now, if we were to construct a theology of person just out of this Genesis 2 passage, we might ask the question, is it enough that a single human is alone in their relationship with God? Can a person find peace and wholeness alone? And I think in the opening pages of the Bible, we see that even though this human, this, this humanity was with God in perfect relationship, that was not enough. But a community of persons was needed. God wanted the human to be a community, and then God created a community for them. Now, back to the Hebrew, because, again, when we translate into English, you totally miss it, right? Like, so here, here is the Hebrew word that's sometimes translated as man, Okay, in this, in this passage, in the front of your handout. And then this is the word, and I'm going to add this, that's translated as woman. You see it? It's like, an, I'm going to do this in orange so you can see it a little bit better. It's like an exact parallel to the Adam and the Adama. It's the exact same root word. And this is the, remember, the man, woman. But actually man and woman are probably terrible translations of this because these are not gendered terms. We know this because there are gendered terms and they are at, in chapter one. God created the human, the Adam, male and female, he created them. And male and female are the gender terms. These are not gendered terms. Ish and Isha are relational terms. They, they, they didn't go from this sort of androgynous, like, the human to male and female. They went from the human to, maybe you could translate it as husband and wife, but it almost misses the point. They were created into a community. The point here is that they are in a relationship that is so close. It mirrors this relationship that all of humanity has with the soil. It's like, in the Hebrew, it's like it sticks out, right? Like that this word and this word are the same, and then this word and this word are the same. There's a kind of equality in the text that is hard to make up and also hard to move away from. So Caleb and I were closing on a house this week at a lawyer's office, and I was remarking that I loved, I love the name of the lawyers, because it's a, it's a husband and wife lawyers, and they're both lawyers, and the name of the law office is Cohen and Cohen, and it's like, it's not like Cohen Law Office, it's like Cohen and Cohen, you know, because lawyers has a, have a sense of their own worth, there's not going to be just one of them, it's not like Cohen's, you know, it's like Cohen and Cohen, but like which Cohen is which? You don't know. It's like this great picture of equality, right? And I recognized it because I had been reading the Hebrew version of Genesis 2. Get this, 
in the text, this is how it comes. It's like the way that it's ordered in the text is the Adam, Ah, Adam, Adama, Adam, and Ish, Ah, Ish. It almost has this rhythm to it. It's almost like the text went out of its way to show that there was equality, that there was connection, that there was relationship, that this, there was no division. That there, at the very beginning, before the fall, that there are actually no gender roles set up. And if you read this to say, you will not be complete until you are married, you're missing the point of the text, right? Because it is about relationship, that the, it is not good that the human is alone, but that we were created for relationship. That's why relationship terms were used here instead of the gender terms that could have been used. That we are a relational species, and that... The, the two are actually one, the Adam. And that they are different, but they have been divided in these two equal parts. But they are one in their relationship to each other. These two parts come together to make a whole, and there is no conflict between them. They are, communi- they are a community. When the human's relationship with God and creation with each other break down later in the next chapter, its own separate unit, really, No longer do humans have no division between them. Now they're separated out. Now they're given separate spheres. And if we can, you know, if we did an incarnational translation of this passage, this next passage in Genesis 3, which is where you just take the the Hebrew or the original story and you try to translate it as closely as you can into a cultural paradigm that exists in your world, if we did an incarnational translation of this passage, the move from Genesis 2 to Genesis 3 might be read that gender roles came into their marriage. Because now there were consequences, and it's, wor- it's noteworthy to say that actually the consequences to both the man and the woman in Genesis 3 are the exact same Hebrew word. It is the Hebrew is the word we translate it as labor. That increase in labor, an increase in labor was given to both genders, but they are in different spheres now, and the pain and the toil are in different places. And if we can set aside gender for a moment, we might be able to peek into the reality that the brokenness in human relationships, all brokenness in all human relationships, creates division and pain and labor in different ways that actually ends up in the long term dividing us even more. It creates an us and a them where there used to only be a communal us. There used to only be connection between humanity and with the soil and with all the creation. It used to be only an us, and now it is an us and them. And it creates sheath upon sheath of separation. And now we don't even know, even in death, the very soil that is and was and will always be the stuff that we are made from and tasked to care for like what's what's the point of this (laughs) you know what's the point of this well I think for one thing this passage this Genesis 2 passage has been used in a lot of ways that have done violence that have been it's actually been used in the in the way that it outlines what happens right like it's been used to create divisions 
where the whole point of the passage is not that humanity was given the power to do whatever they wanted with creation. The whole point of the passage isn't like men and women are different, so like they should have different jobs and X, Y, and Z. The whole point of the passage is that there is connection and unity and equality from the very beginning, and that that is what has broken down. And so when we look back and read the passage as a way to like create divisions, it, that's what makes, that's what makes me mad. It's like, it's not what it is saying. And so I think the point, I think that what we can take from this is that, that we need to grieve. We need to grieve the way that our relationships are broken. And, and I mean all, all our relationships. I mean our relationship to the earth. I mean our relationships with each other. Whatever our divisions are, whether they be skin color or sexual orientation or place of birth or age or experience or vocation or religion, we are so separate. And yet we were created to be this community, this ha-adam, this one. We've lost our focus because we're always looking at a them we are also always forgetting that we're, they are also us. And if we are to reclaim or claim for the first time a theology of personhood out of Genesis 2, we'd have to say that we are created to be the caretakers of the soil, one with the soil, caretakers of each other, one with each other, and that this version of person goes beyond all of the ways that we have created to make divisions and it actually solves the, the problem of diversity. It's not that we've lost who we are as male or female or, or whatever, but, but who we are finally and ultimately belongs to the Ha-Adam, that we belong and that we are one. And just as through the Ha-Adam, just as through the Adam, death came through sin, and so death spread to all. More, much more surely has the grace of God and the gift of grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. It's already accomplished. For the judgment flowing one, the, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the gift following many trespasses brings justification. In response, let us grieve, let us grieve that we are separated from the soil and from each other, but let us also believe that God already has done the work to make us one through the person of Jesus Christ. But again, what does it mean? What is the practical application of this? What's the point and how does this apply to my life? I think that it means that, that we have to fight the division and the urge to other others first in our own head and psyche. That we are, when we are tempted to other someone, when we don't feel represented, or someone has done something that hurt us or could affect us in a negative way, then we make a spiritual practice out of praying that Christ's mind for that person would also be in us. And we don't just pray for it, we sit and we wait for it. We sit and we wait until our enemy becomes a part of our community, that the person that feels like an other has become a part of us. 
And when we find ourselves disconnected from the soil and from our food and from the animals that are, live in our neighborhood, we go to great lengths to know them because you cannot care for something that you do not know. But before we do any of that, we have to grieve the reality and the state of the world because I think if we grieve and we let grief do its work, the rest of it will come. I think unity will come, that there will be a, a fire and a motivation that the ecosystem that was willed in creation will come, that community will come, that co-eco-equality will come, God's will will come on earth as it is in heaven. So as we close this morning, Hannah's going to lead us in a song that I think is so fitting to grieve this, what has been lost, (laughs) the co-eco-equality, the connection, And so I invite you over the next five minutes as Hannah sings to find a way. Find a way to see where you're at in the midst of this. See where this is hitting you, what grief comes up for you. You can use your handout to color or write, or you can just join with Hannah in singing. But let's take the next few minutes to do that.